Hey everybody, welcome back to Studio HFL. I'm Larry Powell, your host for this podcast. I'm glad you're back for another interview. I'd like to let you know that this podcast is made possible by the generous support of my new co-sponsor, Messina Covers. David and Erica design and deliver both high-quality customer service and products, both standard and custom. Be sure to check them out at www.messinacovers.net. And Messina is spelled M-E-S-S-I-N-A-C-O-V-E-R-S. They offer their support through Patreon. Patreon is a funding platform where you can offer your financial support to this podcast, and your help will go towards hosting, production, and marketing fees. There are several tiers of support offered, and you can check out how you'd like to support this podcast at www.patreon.com slash studiohfl, and Patreon is spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N. You can also offer support by providing comments and a rating on whatever platform you use to get your podcasts. If you'd like to receive news regarding interviews, new guests, access to Studio HFL merchandise, please subscribe to the newsletter by going to www.powellmusic.net and click on the subscribe to newsletter link. And of course, Powell Music, P-O-W-E-L-L-M-U-S-I-C dot net. And now, on with the interview. Here we are the day after ITG. Mm-hmm. Wrapped up last night, uh, sitting here with Terry Everson. Oh, so here, here we are. Yeah, you've been with ITG quite a long time. Uh, quite a long time. My first conference, oh my goodness, was 39 years ago. My uh, teacher, Dr. Burkhart, hosted it at Ohio State my freshman year of college. I, I had just started school in January. I had no idea what to expect, and... All of a sudden, our campus was flooded with all these really great trumpet players and names that I'd uh, sort of heard. I really didn't know anything about the trumpet community um, okay. at that time. Uh, I I didn't even know who Mahler was until about a month into my schooling that year. Uh, I, I, I was following a completely different path before I got to college than after I got to college, but um, ITG really helped me learn pretty quickly. Uh, who was who and what mm-hmm. was what, and mm-hmm. um, it's been uh, really just awesome, I guess, for, well, you know, 39 years mm-hmm. since then. How long did it take before you started to get involved on an administrative or uh, volunteer side? Um, well, I've, I've, I've never done much administrative volunteer stuff for ITG over the years. I was the notation specialist for a few years, mm-hmm. maybe back in the early 2000s. Um, uh, when that was still kind of a, a newer thing, and I was uh, kind of on the front of being able to work finale pretty well. Um, they actually auditioned me, gave me this weird little excerpt of music, and said, mm-hmm. okay, you know, put this in, typeset this, and, mm-hmm. and let's see if you can make sense of it. And I worked so hard at that. And this, well, this was an early version of finale. I was going to say, you would have to work hard, because that had just come from Encore, I think, and it was not as user-friendly as it is it, today. It took some doing. To it was get, clunky. Yeah, it was. It, they gave me this handwritten, scrawled thing with markings all over it, and trying to figure out how I was going to fit that all in was was something. So, um, so I, I did just a few things that way. I'm I'm actually, uh, to be honest, a really lousy administrator. I will say though, 
Now, now that you mention it, because yeah, it brings it, now now the, the the memory of my trauma comes flooding back. I'm so sorry. Uh, I uh, I hosted the conference. <laughs> I see, I see how I try to forget that. Yeah. Um, I did host the conference at the University of Kentucky in 1998, uh, and that was uh, two very interesting years. Um, uh, Kim Dunnick was the president at that time. That was my first conference. Get out. No. Wow. No, I okay. Wow. So we'll we'll follow up on that in a second. No, Kim Dunnick was the was the ITG president at the time, and he had dark hair um, before the <laughs> conference. And as 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 the time approached, and I was scrambling to keep up with things, and always not always very well. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think I think I gave him his first couple gray hairs, but um, <laughs> it. it I, in, in the long run, I had a lot of great people around me yeah. helping, and by all accounts, the conference was a success. Uh, I, I actually didn't even advance budget at all. That's how irresponsible and, and, and novice I was at this kind of thing. And at that time, it was like about $100,000 came in, and you know, $500 less than that went out. Wow. So in the black, thumbs up <laughs> by the skin of my teeth. Um, and and uh, they gave me a life membership, and since you only have one life, I figured, well, I don't need to do that again. Um, although Jim Olcott, years later, did uh, twist my arm to host the uh, Ellsworth Smith competition, which yeah. is uh, a, a much less complicated endeavor, although still over my well, head. Well, I was going to say, there's uh, still an awful lot that goes into yeah, that. Yeah, it, it, it was still a lot of work, and, and still uh, more than I could uh, really handle, but... Um, <laughs> Yeah, you know, I, I manage people. People give me a lot of grace, uh, and I'm very um, I'm very grateful for that. And I think it has taught me also to extend a lot of grace to other people, mm -hmm. uh, for the most part. So uh, you know, we the life lessons learned. Hopefully, yeah. yeah. So think back to your very first conference. Mm -hmm. What year would that have been? 1980. 80. Mm -hmm. That's right, because this is the is this the 44th? This or is 45th? the 44th, and that would yeah. have been about the Fifth. And they haven't missed a year in there, have they? Uh, ITG's never missed a year. Not well, a year. the only th they, they they did it in conjunction with the other societies and did a couple brass fests mm -hmm. back in the eighties and I think early nineties. Mm -hmm. But it, there there was always an ITG component, I okay. think, to those brass fests. So thinking back to the scale and the scope of that first one you experienced, and what we're experiencing today, what kind of changes? <laughs> well. I mean, there are there are a lot of changes. Of course, scale and scope are you know, you know the two big uh, words. Back then, generally there was only one thing going on at a time. Mm -hmm. um, uh, the communication among I mean, ITG was founded to improve the communication, right? It's, mm -hmm. it's in the it's in the uh, whatever the bylaws, the bylaws or the uh, yeah that that statement, mm -hmm. I, mission statement. The mission statement. Thank yes. you. That's yes. I'm I'm not a business person. I can't remember these terms. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, I mean, it really, you know, people didn't know as much about what was going on, and of course, you know, the world's changed a lot. There are so many more great artists um, that are more well known now. But back then it was a smaller, a smaller pool, uh, but it was really valuable to bring people together. And so, yeah, only only one event at a time generally, um, a little bit more compact. Uh, and uh, as it's gone along, I've there have been a number of things I've noticed about the the conferences over the years because people didn't know each other as well back then. There wasn't as much connection. Well, and we didn't have the social and, media. Well, exactly, exactly. So there was, I felt like there was, if ITG was loosening up some boundaries, you know, so 
college professors that didn't used to have such connection as we do today would maybe at that time, um, not maliciously, but just maybe a little bit more standoffish towards other hmm. college professors. I mean, I wasn't one at the time, but I just, these were the impressions that I got. Everything was a little bit more territorial for wow. at, at that time because it was it was a different time. Mm -hmm. you know? uh, and even the students, I, I, I mean, again, I'm, I'm an introvert. I keep to myself. I have trouble making, you know, connections and friends in general. And I, so I didn't really meet, you know, when I went into the competitions, you know, well, th those were my competitors and, you know, I, I probably shouldn't be you know, hanging. I mean, I, I was young. I mean, I was 17 years old at that first conference and, um, and just, you know, eyes wide open, wondering what in the world have I gotten myself into. Mm -hmm. But, and at that time, I felt that there was more of a sense of the typical trumpet player sitting in the audience saying, you know, hearing a performance and saying, well, you know, I could have done that better. I don't sense that so much anymore. Um, and talk about the competitive aspect of it. I, I see these, uh, the winners of the youth competition and the mm -hmm. solo competition, the excerpt competition, hanging together yes. through the week, yes. being supportive of each other. So awesome. And it's not like uh, this cutthroat uh, me, 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 and there—it's—it's it's a really cool thing to witness. It's—it's it's awesome, you know. Uh, the, I—I I hope that we as teachers, <clears throat> excuse me, have been able to inculcate into our students um, more of a sense of the long game. That you know, when I was in school, my perspective was very limited, and what I accomplish now is going to be the thing. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas you go along. And if you can, you know, start to think, well, you know, school and the competitive phase of my life, mm -hmm. hopefully, is going to be a relatively short phase of my life. And now I'm going to launch into a long career, where actually dealing with others is a pretty positive thing. Mm -hmm. And I, I think, and again, I think this is something that um, uh, through ITG and like the National Trumpet Competition that mm -hmm. I'm a part of, um, that's really fostered a lot more of this again among the professors and then we you know when our students see that I'm hanging with this professor that professor mm -hmm. and, and whatnot then they say oh yeah and we're gonna hang with that professor's students and, mm -hmm. and whatnot and I, I still remember the first time I came back from going down to a national trumpet competition with my students and we were in vans with with um, walkie-talkies talking back and forth between the vans <laughs> and this is you know the, oh, way back in the, the 2000s um, but but my students did start to have some of the, the you know some of those fancy cell phones and things, and they were starting to uh, text message friends that they'd met from other schools on the way home. Yeah. And I thought, wow, what a what a cool thing this was. And like you said, you know, uh, these students who are you know, quote unquote, competing against each other in these competitions are really um, realizing that these are their future colleagues. Right. Um, and yeah, today this person might be first prize, and you know next next week another person might sure. be first prize. I mean, you look at uh, you know the, the tennis tour or whatever like that. You mean you know golfing? I mean people you you go and you win some and you lose some, right. and we're all out there week after week, and we're all together. Yeah, you know? and so yeah, uh, it's certainly not like not like the uh, WWE where they trash talk each other <laughs> and you know verbally I, abuse each other before. Don't, don't uh, see so much of that, now, which is which is pretty nice. Yeah. yeah, so yeah. Uh, yeah, the community's great, uh, and, and you know I love the setup at these where, like in the lobby, the middle of everything, right, 
everybody just kind of passes through and stops and has the shortest conversation or the longest conversation with somebody new or somebody that they've known forever. Right. And Which is kind of how we got this set up, exactly. right? Exactly. <laughs> Yesterday that, in the lobby. That's where I'm headed. And, you know, of course, <laughs> I've been aware of you for a very long time because not only your involvement in ITG, but you're, I think, a, not, not a bad trumpet player from what I, I hear. I right? do what I can. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, I'm being, you know, totally sarcastic on that. <laughs> so, you know, I want to talk about the trumpet playing uh, mm-hmm. a little bit. Um, how do you do it? <laughs> well, differently, <laughs> differently every week, uh, it seems. Uh, uh, I will say what, what, has, what I've lately been into a whole lot and should have been into my whole career, and if I've been listening to my teachers, um, you know, would have arrived there 39 years ago, um, you know, is just really how to be efficient. Right. I've uh, I've been kind of you know reading a lot of people's methods and and uh, a exercise and etude books and you know I mean and the thing that that I haven't done as well over the years and students never do and it's what Herbert Clark wrote in the beginning of one of his and Scott Belk says the same thing in front of his is like yeah we everybody you know all, in all the history of, of students using method books you know, maybe 0.001% of them have ever actually read the text in the book. They, oh. they, they, they go to the notes and say this and this, and maybe they listen to their teacher for some advice about it, but, you know, who's actually reading these uh, texts? Well, I'm, I'm starting to read these texts yeah. and, and seeing, wow, there's a lot of great information here. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So uh, I, I'm going into, I mean, I, I, love, I love Scott's Flexibilities books, uh, WIF's Collaborative Practice Technique mm-hmm. book, um, uh, John Daniel has a great book mm-hmm. on um, uh, special studies for the trumpet, mm-hmm. and um, and uh, and John's got some nice things on efficiency in there, and and I uh, and just I'm, I'm trying to figure out. Uh, he he makes this statement in his book on on efficiency is is if the if the smallest amount of effort we have to make to make a sound happen on the trumpet, we'll call it X. So everything else we do on the trumpet relates, you know, it's 5x or 10x or, you know, 750,000.7x uh, or whatever. And he said, you know, uh, mathematics tells us if we could shrink x, we could shrink all those others sure. you know, proportionally. So, sure. uh, so my quest over the last few years has really been to continue to try to shrink x and figure out, you know, what's the, what's the smallest... Um, aperture and and air through that aperture and uh, you know and still you know still get a a good sound we're, yeah. we're not talking about making some kind of kind of although if I go there first I can work with that yeah. rather than trying to get in and do something that's uh, very very focused and I know that there are other people for whom you know it works very well on the other end of that and that's great um, it didn't it didn't work so well for me it made me tight Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, when I'm out, uh, especially when I'm out, it's, it's very handy doing it this way because when I'm out on the road, I'm in a hotel room, mm-hmm. you know, I, I can do a lot of things without bothering the people in the next room. Mm-hmm. Um, so my day starts with blowing air through the mouthpiece, um, trying to get it energized some and, and let the lips find the air. Mm-hmm. Let the aperture find the air. When, when something just starts to, I'm looking for that spark, that, that really, that little spark that just barely starts it. And then I can mess with that and kind of, 
you know, mess with the aperture size a little bit. I can mess with the pressure. You know, I, I can mm -hmm. you know, kind of get it in there and then just like back off the pressure and on and the sound stops and starts and find the, that point of minimum pressure, mm -hmm. you know, the, the point where the aperture just catches. And then after I get that going, I'll just start and stop the air. So I keep everything still, stop the air, start the air, stop yeah. the air, start the air. And if I can, you know, if it still just gets that speak, then, then I'm on to something. And then that I can start That response is so critical, right? I mean, that's... Absolutely. And, and, if, and that's the key. That's something that, that uh, Roger Ingram actually helped me uh -huh. with recently. Believe mm -hmm. it or not, you know, Monster Lead Player ascribes to the same principle... Oh. I'm not surprised. And, uh, you know, just getting that response. I mean, if you're going to do the least... kinds of things he's doing, right. you know, and you're working hard. I mean, this is, you know, when I was in school, you know, the amount of effort I thought it would play to play a Mahler symphony, mm -hmm. I could never have a career that way. I mean, <laughs> I, 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 I play the first movement and I'm like, well, okay, see you tomorrow night. We'll, mm -hmm. we'll continue where we left off. Um, you know, it, it would it would never have worked. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I mean, I tried and mm -hmm. I really, really tried. It was yeah. you know, more like the the brute force weightlifter kind of thing. Um, you know, and I was, and at that time, that's also when I was shoving the horn into my face sure. hard and stretching my corners back and all sorts of nonsense that poor Dr. Burkhardt, he put up for five years. <laughs> Unfortunately, I was like winning first chair and winning competitions playing the wrong way. Oh no. And it, it, makes, it makes one rather stubborn yeah, because you're hearing one thing, but you're experiencing something else. Exper you know, when you're experiencing a certain success, you know, what my problem was, it wasn't sustainable. Mm -hmm. you know, and when I got into the Chestnut Brass Company, I had to play two-hour concerts mm -hmm. that way. You know, I, I went right in the gutter, you know, and mm -hmm. I really had to get things you know, figured out at that. Frank Cadrabic was the one who helped me figure it out nice. you know, at the time. Uh, I, you know, I, I give so much credit to, to Dr. Burkhardt for getting me set up, and he tried so hard to, to get me over that very mm -hmm. critical hump. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and, it, I mean, and it took failure, you know, for me when I went to Frank, you know, and he saw in eight measures of something, mm -hmm. and said, you know, you're not ready to make music yet, you know, we got to get you fixed. And then at that then, because it wasn't working and I knew it wasn't working, I was ready to listen. And that fixed things, but uh, and that started me on a, a, a very long road um, that you know brought me you know, pretty much to here. But mm -hmm. uh, but this you know the the idea of the efficiency and, and starting mm -hmm. things and, and really you know playing quietly. Most most brass players, I, almost every single brass chamber music class I, I participated in at Boston University. One of my first comments. You know, if, if, if one of my colleagues doesn't beat me to it, uh, you know, is you, know, you people don't steal really, my thunder. You right? people yeah. really don't know how to play quietly. Yeah. You know, they'll 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 you know, they want to play the you know the, the, the slam bang. I mean, which is exactly where I was when I was at their age, and just you know go and do this and this and this and this and this. But you know, then they, they go to play just like a, a simple you know uh, you know uh, Renaissance pavane or something like that, and. <laughs> And they're all airing out, and the sound is horrible, and the mm -hmm. intonation is going to pot. And I think, oh, well, you know, someday, you know, and, and they, they, you know, they do eventually start to get it. But mm -hmm. um, you know, at, in, at, at the educational level, we, and we just keep the pressure on, keep going, 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 you know, going, so that when you get out in the real world, you know, uh, you know, and the conductor says, "Could you play that softer?" You say, "Well, as a matter of fact, I can't." You know, or if you're lucky, you don't even get asked that. Right. And that's right. something that many brass players have never experienced. I, I yeah. rarely get asked to play quieter in orchestras or, or anything yeah. uh, because I I want to you know, I, I want to put it where it belongs. Sure. And 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 because I can play quietly, I I'm not afraid to go there. You know, lest the conductor. Oh, but if he asks me to play even quieter, what will mm -hmm. I do? 
you know, I know I can go there if I need to. Sure. You know, as, as teachers, and I'll, I even experienced this myself as a, as a student, and I still consider myself a student. Mm, amen. But uh, I think I've learned to appreciate that students might not be ripe for that information. And you present it, and you might think of it as planting a seed. But at yeah. some point, yeah. the, it's going gonna, it's gonna to grow. It's going to germinate, and it's going to grow. We're going to follow that analogy, right? And yeah. it's, uh, it might be with another teacher somewhere further down the line. Oh, sure. Which can be disappointing, right? Oh, I, oh yeah. yeah. But you know, I, mean, I think back to Dr. Burkhart and a couple of letters I, I think I wrote him when I discovered this or that. And, mm -hmm. and I can just imagine you know, you know, sitting at home, and he's either going, you know, Yay, hallelujah, he finally got it. Or maybe like the face palm, like, you know, <laughs> well, you know, that's exactly what I told you five years ago. Right. <laughs> uh, he, was, he was always gracious enough that he never actually, you know, pointed out that, you know, you know, I did tell you this. Right. <laughs> um, you know, and, and I try to be the same way. You know, kids will come uh, back and you know, this and this. I'm like, oh, good, good, good. That's, that's great. I mean, it's, it, to me, it's, it's not so important that they credit me with the idea. Yeah. I just want them to get it. And yeah. if they can get it from somebody else, and this always happens. You bring in a guest artist. That's you exactly mean, where I was. <laughs> yeah, you know, you, and, and you, somebody comes in, and, and they're saying exactly what you've been telling your kids, right. you know, but maybe in a little bit different language, yes. and something clicks. And, you know, and I've been on the other side of that. I go in in places, and I don't think I'm saying anything all that profound, you know, uh, but uh, a teacher will say, oh, yeah, that was, that was really good, and that's a, that's a nice spin mm -hmm. on what I've been saying, and they seemed to light up to hear somebody else. It's you know, it, it's just the, it's the prejudice toward the new yeah. uh, that, that people naturally have. You get comfortable with a teacher. Yeah. And after a while, without really meaning to, we can, you know, it's, it's kind of like that, that their voice becomes a little bit more background noise yeah. and, and not still that, you know. Well, and that's an importance, too, I think, of not staying with somebody for too long. Right. Even if it's a great fit, is exposing yeah. yourself to as many different... Yeah. I, I, uh, I have never ever recommended to any of my undergrads to continue in a master's degree at TU. Mm -hmm. uh, if you, if, you know, go, go away somewhere to grad school. I will allow a master's student, um, if, you know, if, if they audition well and everything, to continue into the doctorate because mm -hmm. a master's is only two years. Right. Um, it's, it's not a whole lot of time to spend with somebody. And mm -hmm. so, yeah, so I've had, you know, maybe you know, some people on, you know, ending up on the five-year plan. Well, and the school. focus in a master's or doctoral degree can be is dramatically different than, exactly. than that. Exactly. So you might be saying some different things. Yeah. I mean, if, if my son wanted to continue with BU uh, for a master's, I'd say, well, fine, and we'll set you up with, you know, maybe mm -hmm. Tom Siders or something like mm -hmm. that. You know, mm -hmm. and I'm still there, but, mm -hmm. but you're going you're gonna to get some ideas from somebody else. So we really still haven't talked about your playing, but let's oh. go to BU for a second. How long have you been there? I just finished my 20th year. Wow, congratulations. Which, yeah, thank you. It's, uh, you know, there were times when I thought I wouldn't make it to two or three. Um, <laughs> and, and early on, it was challenging. After my first year, they made me department chair or winds brass percussion for four years. Mm. And as I mentioned earlier here, I am not an yeah, administrator. Not administrator. And I, my, my whole demeanor, I felt I just, I just kind of went in a hole. My playing was, was going down, down, mm. down. Um, and uh, fortunately, after a few years of that, um, the, the trumpet enrollment started going up. Mm. And uh, gosh darn it, I got too busy to have an administrative part if I was going to teach all those trumpet students. Mm -hmm. And uh, at the same time, uh, we'd had a, a vacancy on the faculty in our area, so we hired a new person that you know, 
with that in the job description. Of that load. Yeah. Um, I had to give up the office that Roger Roseanne had been in, um, oh. which that was, you know, a, a little bittersweet. But I gladly gave it up mm -hmm. <laughs> for the um, mm -hmm. for the opportunity to change. That was 14 years ago, and I've been in less than half an office for 14 years. Oh. And just this year, uh, just this summer, I got to move all my stuff up the hall to a new full-size office right next to Roger's old office where my colleague Don Lucas now, uh, the, the trombone professor, is. So you followed Wazan. I did. Yeah. And that means you were at UK prior to that, which means you followed Venny. Yes. <laughs> uh, There's a theme going here. You've stepped here. into some pretty big shoes in both, both places. Yeah, I've, I've wallowed in them, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, mean, well, I don't know about that. Uh, it's, uh, I have to say, when I, when I first started the full-time college teaching, uh, I, I, I'd never planned to do it. And uh, it, I didn't know what I was doing. Uh, I imagined that, well, if I just knew how to play and could get other kids to get on board with that, that mm -hmm. would be enough. Mm -hmm. um, that was, as you would realize, also in the college world, pretty naive. Um, and, uh, you know, and you don't know what you don't know. You know? Uh, and mm -hmm. so the four years I was at UK, I learned a whole lot about things. Um, I, uh, I took a year off in the middle um, and then um, uh, was, was called by BU. Uh, uh, they had a search that didn't work out and now they were just kind of trying to find mm -hmm. somebody and I, I auditioned there in May mm -hmm. of 1999. I mean, after the school year was done, I was, it was like maybe during the finals time or something mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and um, was offered the position, I think, after they actually had commencement. Again, it's really unusual. It's not like you can then really recruit for the next right, year. Right. Um, I did get one transfer student that came across from someplace else, uh, but um, uh, it was, and that was a, a tough uphill battle. I mean, I came to Boston um, with a lot of pats on the back from the people who had hired me, mm -hmm. uh, and that starts making you feel pretty good about yourself, and you know the prospects are good here and whatnot. But then you get there and. Um, nobody really knew who I was. Um, I did not have a reputation as an orchestral player uh, mm -hmm. at all. Um, uh, even though I'd previously subbed in the Philly Orchestra for years, I was on the A-list there mm -hmm. uh, before I went to Lexington. And, uh, uh, but you know, I got there and imagined that, okay, well, I've got connections through BU and these people. I'm, I'm sure things will really start to pop. And they did not start to pop. I got there and watched my savings start to evaporate mm. uh, because um, assistant professor jobs at universities um, don't always really start you off really well in the yeah. pay. And you're in Boston. Not a cheap <laughs> uh, town. It's not a cheap town <laughs> at all. Um, and it was, a, it was a tough slog the first couple years. But um, uh, I have to say that one of the people that really I, helped me through that um, and nothing that was really direct, but uh, was, was Roger. Uh, mm. Roger was in. He was always in my corner. Mm -hmm. And I would have him in for master classes every year. He, was, he had emeritus status mm -hmm. as a full professor, and um, so would come and give master classes for free mm -hmm. you know, whenever I asked. And he was always affirming of me mm. when I really wasn't sure that everybody else in town was. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, and that got me through some, some kind of tough times early mm -hmm. on. Um, and I never took a lesson with him one-on-one. -on -one, I was going to say, but... But, you know, hearing <laughs> yeah. what he would do with my students, things that I would... I'm a, I, I'm a babbler anyhow. I, I talk and talk and talk and talk. 
I'm um, really glad for that, by the way, because that makes for good content on the <laughs> podcast. <laughs> um, but you know, so you know, when I'm trying to fix a student's problem, I would take like five minutes to talk about it, and then they go in the master class with Roger. They play something, and you say, "Okay, now, tang." That's it. That's all you'd say, tang, and then they'd play it again. It sounded amazing. I said, "Well, for goodness' <laughs> sakes, you know, it took me five minutes to even get them halfway along the way, and you got them." You know, all the way there. But I learned a lot from him, and 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 he was really uh, a, a germ of the um, his ideas of of the efficiency, mm-hmm. um, you know, breath attacks, and things mm-hmm. like this. And uh, and I found that linked up also with um, with Carmine Caruso uh, quite mm. well. And I didn't know that at the time um, when I was at Ohio State, um, the lead jazz players were all doing Caruso, mm-hmm. and. What I was gathering from them, whether this is actually what they were doing or not, or how they were thinking, what I was gathering from them as well. You know, if you if you play your long set C for like you know 20 minutes, and and you know you hold your chops in this like isometric tension position, you know, then you you you're, you'll have enough muscle to go out and lift cars by their bumper with their lips, you know, and and you know, and I would try it, and of course end up with two blocks of concrete after a couple of days, sure. and say, well, you know, Caruso doesn't work for me. Well. Um, I went to a master class and got a lesson then from Lori Frink, my first summer mm-hmm. out at Tangwood mm-hmm. in 2000, and started realizing that the Caruso method was not about the isometric tension, it was about getting rid of variables. It was about just staying still mm-hmm. and minimizing motion. And she really showed me that in the lesson. I played Charlie number two for her, and she, I didn't miss anything, which was unusual for me. I'm, I always thought I was the most inaccurate player of a, what, certain reputation um, out there. And I didn't miss anything. She says, wow, that was great. You didn't miss anything. She said, but you really scared me. I said, well, what, what's scary about Charlie number two? She said, no, you would go to start a phrase on the same note you'd started the phrase before, but your face wouldn't look the same. Uh, and I, and I, I, in my mind, I'm like, well, what, you mean we're supposed to do the same thing to get the same result. Uh-huh. <laughs> Maybe this has been uh-huh. my consistency uh-huh. problem all these years, and and she took me then through you know the the principles and Carmine and, and whatnot, and, and I'd, I'd already seen him in a master class she gave right before, but it started to really click. And then you know between that and Roger talking about this, um, you know, and just started to figure out oh it's it's, it's just about staying still mm-hmm. and being consistent, which means of course the thing that I dreaded in my early life was, you know, doing something over and over and over and over and over. And I mean, only the only thing I did over and over and over again when I was younger was play through my piece over and over and over again. And it was enough to get me good enough and and whatnot, but I wasn't really, I wasn't solving problems. I was, I was wearing ruts of this piece or that piece. And I was a good sight reader. So, you know, that, that was, was very helpful. You mentioned how you really didn't understand, or somebody had communicated something Caruso, about Caruso that was not exactly all the information well, you needed. Right. But the same thing has happened with Stamp. The yes. same thing has yep. happened with the Bill Adam routine. Absolutely. Which, I and Adam, I think, was a little more adaptable to each student, and Stamp mm-hmm. probably adapted Long, things sure. a little more individually. And, you know, for somebody to say, well, this is the way it's done, is maybe this is the way it's done for me. Right. You know, right. and I think that's where we have to be careful when we communicate to students. Oh, absolutely. You know, make sure that we're, first of all, uh, as informed as possible. Or, like I'm having uh, Ronnie Rahm, a direct student of STAMP, I'm having him mm-hmm. come and explain uh, the STAMP method. Right. You know, because now, and we're going to get it firsthand. 
Right. And I think that's, uh, of course, that's another great thing about ITG, bringing us together where we can absolutely uh, meet all the people that find all those things there. But. Welcome to the middle of the episode. Just a reminder that this podcast is brought to you with the support of Messina Covers. They offer some standard and custom designs of trumpet bags, mouthpiece pouches, and more. And their customer service is excellent. Be sure to check them out at www.messinacovers.net. And now, back to the interview. Um, all right, so let's, let's if we can, pick it back up there. Sure. Um, you met Lori Frank. Things mm-hmm. started to get figured out, and from there... Yeah, I mean, and that's, you know, these were the, like I said, the germs of the ideas about efficiency that I got, like, in the early 2000s from Roger's classes, from from Lori, and and started to get things going there. And um, uh, after I got out of the chairman job and started to be able to focus on my playing again uh, much more and and my teaching, um, started refining things. And actually, it, it, and, and this will sound like um, I'm, I'm being a corporate shill here at the moment, but I have to say, when I, when I joined with Shires, I, I, you know, I live like half an hour from the factory. Mm-hmm. So it's like, wow, what, you know, every, every trumpet player wants to live half hour. I mean, if I was still in Lexington, I'd yeah. probably be a, a Blackburn picket right. artist totally because, <laughs> you know, yeah, I mean, half an hour. But, um, but I have to say, you know, I mean, uh, I went into the shop there and started playing their horns and you know, talk to Steve about, you know, being an artist. And he says, yeah, well, let's, you know, let's, let's design a C trumpet for you. And I was working at the time on, uh, I just started into a series of sonata recitals. Um, I'd done the first one that was kind of the early sonatas and kind of culminating with the Hindemith. And then the next one was going to be mainly French with a little bit of Bohemian and, and English in there. It was, uh, um, it was Pronce, the Martineau, the Castored, the Maxwell Davies, and the Ubo. Uh, so four out of five of those on the C trumpet. And I was thinking, I really need a C trumpet that's really efficient mm-hmm. if I'm going to have any prayer of mm-hmm. getting through this program. I mean, the Pronce up to that time had just scared the living whatever out of me. I'd never performed it. Um, and I, but I had students perform it. You know, mm-hmm. I said, I, I need to grow a spine and just you know, <laughs> get with this. So. So I went to Steve and said, well, here's what I'd like this trumpet to do. And so I went in the shop and started trying things. And, and we, we started finding instruments that responded, you know, our combination of factors. I'm not an equipment head. I let them do all the work on it. I just told them what I liked and didn't like. But started finding an instrument that, you know, I would just as much as look at it and it would speak. Just poof, mm-hmm. right there. Um, and since that time, now, now that I had a trumpet that responded well to that, I said, oh, I can go even deeper into this now and really, you know, get this kind of thing going. And um, that's, that's been a great association. Mm-hmm. Um, just, you know, I, I've, you know uh, Steve has really got some horns that respond well to my way yeah. of playing and, and for what I have to do. So, and let's clarify, Steve, if you're listening to this, even if, if Terry did live in Lexington, he would still be a Shires artist. <laughs> Geography has nothing to no. do with it. <laughs> well, I, mean, it, it does, I have to say, and, it, it doesn't hurt when I can just climb in the car half an hour away and, and I'm there. Please tweak this. Yeah, you know, and Peter, uh, he, he likes your products too. But, yeah, you know, and I play his mouthpieces. Yeah, so there you go. Uh, you I, get the I best love of, his mouthpieces. Yeah. Um, so, uh, <laughs> uh, but, um, no, and, and it, you know, working with those instruments has just, you know, taken me on. And I've, and again, uh, you, you, you mentioned uh, you know Bill Adam, and uh, I've never had a less. I never met him, 
and never had a lesson or gone to a master class of one of his students. I've picked up some things from watching students of Mr. Adams' students at NTC and things like that. And, um, and there's an, a really neat video, uh, Trumpet Physics, um, that um, John Harbaugh out at Central mm -hmm. Washington uh, mm -hmm. put together. And he does a demonstration early on in that that also kind of revolutionized how I was thinking about things vis-a-vis -vis the buzz and mm -hmm. all this, where he takes this glass tube and a blowtorch, light the blowtorch, you stick it in the glass tube, and sound comes out. You know, and so his next question is, well, okay, so where where are the vibrating surfaces? Mm -hmm. Where 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 are the lips? Where's right. the there right. to make that? There's nothing there. Mm -hmm. It's energized air, mm -hmm. and uh, and he goes on to talk about Arthur Bernard's um, uh, what was it, the, the Scientific American uh, article from back in the '60s mm -hmm. or something, talking about how it's the excitation of the air molecules passing through the tube that makes the sound, and the lips respond. Yes. And I'm like. Oh, okay. So we don't initiate from here. That happens when the you know, I mean, standing wave. The standing wave mm -hmm. happens, and so you know, and so I I started messing around with you know blowing in my mouthpiece and putting it into the horn, and it's like okay, I, I can have no sound when the horn's away, and without changing anything, you know, or or do this with a lead pipe. Yep. You know, you put it on. There's sound. You take it back off. There's no sound, and and you know, cross my heart. You know. And to God, I haven't changed a thing, except I'm just blowing, there's sound and there's no sound. So mm -hmm. how and how much effort is that? Mm -hmm. Much less than sitting there bearing down mm -hmm. and trying to squeeze some sounds. Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, I used to think that the, you know, the, the trumpet was the amplifier for what we do in the mouthpiece. And it's like, you know what? Nobody wants to hear that noise amplified. When they hear that noise, they usually say, you know, are you, are you strangling a cat? Are, are, you, okay? are you kicking a duck? <laughs> you know, uh, something like that. So, um, you know, really making, making my peace with the physics of the situation, mm -hmm. um, you know. And I, you know, I don't know if I would be, you know, and again, I, you know, an Adam disciple or a stamp disciple or, or whatever. I, I just want to take all these ideas and figure out what works for me. And um, and as I read more about what people say about it, I say, oh, okay, there's that. That's what they're thinking about. It. That makes sense, yeah. and I'll go with that. Uh, I do a little bit of buzzing, but mm -hmm. not to start the day. Okay. And I came to one of the warm-up sessions here uh, at ITG mm -hmm. because I tell myself I'm going to go to at least one. Exactly. As and, did I. <laughs> and I did. And uh, Kathy Leach was sitting right in front of me, and I couldn't buzz to save my life. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, this is the most embarrassing thing. Ever, but as soon as we got to the horn, everything was fine. Right. How about that? And you know, it's uh, oh my gosh, there are people so entrenched in uh, the burp, and I'm not putting down burp no, no, by any stretch. No. You know, there's yeah. so pe many people entrenched in the buzzing mm -hmm. aspect. But when you do understand the physics, uh, well, and and even Scott Belk said, you know, why do we buzz? It's not how we play the instrument. Right. You know, but there can be some value to it, and I and I look at buzzing as reinforcing the oral concept right. or oral skills. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. But it's certainly not like you've described. Well, you know, and I think, you know, when we're students, we hear things and we interpret. You know, kind of like, I mean, like I said, I don't, I don't know if those guys doing the Caruso at Ohio State were, had that, you know, in their mind of what their purpose was. Mm -hmm. I read it that way. Yeah. And, you know, it's very important when, when we're talking about communication, you know, it's, it's not just communication sent, it's communication received. And, uh, you know, with students, you tell them to do this or do that. And, you know, when I was 17, 
I felt like I was already doing pretty well and you know my teachers telling me things okay I have to do this thing but he probably explained to me you know how and why to do the stamp mm -hmm. you know, Dr. Burkhart was he, he was stamped and and I'm sure he explained everything to me and I was just oh, okay and down in the pedal register and letting everything go blah, blah, blah. and you know and getting after all I'm like I'm not getting anything out of this. This is this is dumb. You know, I didn't tell him that, and he stopped checking up on it. You know, and so I just stopped doing it. And so bye bye benefit. But but you know, and same thing with buzzing. You know, if if a student says, oh, the the purpose of the buzz is this, whether the teacher says it or not, they think, oh, it's it's this. They they get themselves in a little bit of trouble. And that's I I really try now. You know, I mean, uh, in in refining my own teaching because I. I actually, I never think I'm teaching well enough. I always am thinking I need, I need to do more of this, I need to do more of that because I just want my kids to get it and yeah. to be able to do it. And so I'm always thinking, what, what, how can I better say that? How can I better do this? You know, and one of the things I am doing is I am taking everybody back to square you know, zero mm -hmm. um, every time. And I, I can you know, tell my prospective freshmen this year, you know, get ready for some fundamentals for like a month. Uh, when you get to school, you know, no matter what you were playing before that, you know, right. and, and you can keep on playing what you want to play, but we're going to spend time finding this spark mm -hmm. and finding just <laughs> this easy thing and making sure that they don't know just what to do, but why they're doing it. Right. Um, when I was, um, you know, I, I was uh, also a math geek. Some people would say I still am, um, but when I was in school, I, I hardly ever studied for tests and things like that because I was just messing around with it all the time. Mm -hmm. And you know you can sit there and say, oh, the solution to the quadratic equation ax squared plus bx plus c is x equals negative b plus or minus the square root, et cetera, et cetera. You know, and and students that just think of that I, are going to be in pressure on the test, like, okay, I got, and and what is this? Now the thing is, I messed around with it enough that I knew how to actually solve the equation to get to the answer. Mm -hmm. So it's like I could start with the ax squared plus bx plus c, and I knew how to manipulate the figures. So that if I didn't know, remember, what is it minus b or is it is it two a on the bottom and is it where's the plus and minus thing, I could I could figure it out again, you know. And that's the same thing with the trumpet and with music in general. That I've I've messed around with stuff enough that I can figure things out again. You know, how many people spend enough time in music theory once they learn the octatonic scale to realize you can break that down into two diminished seventh chords mm -hmm. or two French sixth chords, mm -hmm. if they can remember what a French sixth chord is. Mm -hmm. Oops. Uh, <laughs> or there are only two whole tone scales. And exactly, yeah. Or there are only three diminished. Yeah, you know, uh, you know kids, kids sometimes wonder like, yeah, why, why is it kind of like easier to do these diminished sevenths than I would think? Well, because you guess what? <laughs> you know, you've only actually learned three of them right. and, and they're just recycling in your motor memory. Right. Um, you know, and so you know, by, by figuring out these things and figuring out the why of them rather than just the what, I, mm -hmm. I hope that my students will be thoughtful about that. Mm -hmm. Because the other thing is, you know, they'll see me for one hour in a lesson, they'll see me for 75 minutes in a studio class and you know, 45 minutes once or twice a week in a warm-up class. And then maybe a chamber music coaching, but that you know that's not many hours. You got at least 160 hours of the week. I'm not around. You run into a problem. Okay, well you can try to email me or text me or call me or whatever like that. But mm -hmm. you know maybe I'm asleep. <laughs> um, how are you going to fix it? What are you going to do? And if you've got principles, mm -hmm. you've got a much better chance of being able to fix the problem mm -hmm. rather than just some some methods. I'll just throw some methods at this and see mm -hmm. what happens. Mm -hmm. Well, what what's the 
What's the theory behind the method? What's the why behind the method? So that maybe I need to be thinking a little bit more stampy here. Maybe I need to think a little more uh, atom here. Maybe I need to think a little more belky here. Mm -hmm. Is belky an adjective? I don't yeah, know. It is now. It is now. Yeah. yeah. You're welcome, Scott. Or balconator, or oh wait, that's a that's a that's a hamburger, right? The the balconator. So, um, man, I, I'm totally nerding out on on listening to you because you know it's a lot of it's affirming you know what's going on in my studio, which Good. is great, and and a lot of new ways of thinking about it too, which you know it could be another purpose of this podcast is. You know the sharing of ideas Absolutely. and that. Um, so, uh, BU for twenty years, mm -hmm. UK for four years. Were mm -hmm. you teaching anywhere else before that? I taught uh, part time. Uh, so I, I, I did when I left Ohio State. I got my master's in nineteen eighty four. Um, I took two orchestra auditions and one brass quintet audition. Mm -hmm. And the orchestral auditions were not successful. The brass quintet audition was. So four years in the Chestnut Brass Company, mm -hmm. playing modern and historical instruments. Cornopian, cornetto, natural trumpet. Um, uh, some of those skills I still have. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I left that um, uh, at the time to do some ministry work and do some soloing and see what happened. That's when the Ellsworth Smith was, mm -hmm. was created that, that year. So I, I left the group. A month later, I sent in my tapes for the Ellsworth Smith, made it into both tapes. of them. and Yeah, tapes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, at least... Were they cassettes by that time, I think, at least? I mean, when I first started entering the ITG contest, it was reel-to-reel. -reel. Oh, still reel-to-reel. Reel-to-reel. Oh I, I still have, uh, in my office, I've got the, the, the box reel of my Kenan Sonata mm. from 1981 um, that I had sent in. I need to listen to that again. It's probably all like, yeah, yeah, and, and, and all bled over. You probably hear me hear me playing whatever five seconds before I play it. Yeah. Uh, but... Um, uh, but uh, I, I, I won the Ellsworth Smith, and I um, uh, started teaching part-time at the Philadelphia College of Bible after that. Their trumpet teacher had uh, scheduled a two-year mission trip to Kenya, mm -hmm. and they said, can you come in and teach our trumpets? And they only had, like, two or three. I said, mm -hmm. well, yeah, okay. And, and, and I, I conducted a brass ensemble as well. Mm -hmm. So I did that. After a year of that, um, the, uh, they said, hey, um, we have a music fundamentals class that we could use some help with. You know, would you be Oh, okay. So it's for the students who weren't ready for theory one. Mm -hmm. And boy, did I start actually learning about teaching then. Because mm. uh, when I first started teaching, it was, well, that was wrong. Play it right. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, that, that was um, surprisingly like unhelpful. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, mm -hmm. it's, it's good to know if something's wrong, but, you know, if, if all you can do is say that, play it right. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so I started teaching music fundamentals. Then their, uh, their theory and organ teacher left. Uh, they did not ask me to teach organ, but so the trumpet teacher was coming back. But um, but then they said, well, we need a theory teacher. You know, so I taught first and second year theory um, for the next few years there. Mm -hmm. uh, also learned a lot about teaching there. Mm -hmm. um, and actually, it was it was there that I wrote the arrangement of "There's a Great Day Coming." Uh, for that, mm -hmm. uh, there they were. Uh, Three trumpet students and three of us that were kind of faculty mm -hmm. uh, on that. Uh, I can't believe I wrote for those folks what I wrote for those folks, um, <laughs> but uh, but you know they did a nice job of it. And I was um, so I was just doing that for a few years and just you know hanging out doing that. And I got a call from the University of Kentucky. Um, uh, Ron Holtz, the professor at Asbury College, had heard me mm -hmm. at the ITG in Akron. Um, premiering Stanley Friedman's uh, piece La Pittura for trumpet and brass quintet mm -hmm. and uh, said to the UK guys after Vince left here's a guy maybe you'll be interested in so 
Um, was there anybody between Vince and you? There was for one year. Uh, Bob Thompson did a one-year mm -hmm. thing there. And they had called me that first time. Would you be interested in a one-year position? I'm a freelancer in Philadelphia mm -hmm. and thinking, and as somebody who was not interested in full-time teaching yet, mm -hmm. and thinking, well, I could go off to Lexington, Kentucky for a year, and am I going to walk back into all the work I'm doing that people have now started taking? You know, that's, you know, I mean, people yeah. don't just move out of your way, right. you know, um, because while well, you went and you came back, well, yeah. uh, and so I said, you know, I, I don't, I don't think a one-year thing is right for me. Well, they called the next year when they opened up the full-time position, mm -hmm. and I said, well, maybe I'd be interested, and we went through the process, and uh, miraculously, I got the job with no prior experience of full-time teaching. Did you and, have his old studio? Um, no, no. Uh, I mean, talk about a dream studio. That right? was pretty sweet. And that's there. where my lessons, I was, a, was one of any students. Right, and, yeah. Uh, oh my gosh. Up in the was, Singletary Center. Yes, and, and you know, he rehearsed the top big band up sure, there. And yeah. he had his, the, all the file cabinets Vince and the instruments. Had awesome, and, he's had awesome studios. And now it's all at his house. <laughs> well, maybe I'll have to edit that out so nobody's going to try to you know, rob <laughs> him. But um, yeah, it's, uh, that. well, I interviewed uh, Jason Doval uh, mm -hmm. a few weeks ago and saw the tiny little studio that he's... That's where I was. Uh, that's right that's inside. Yeah. Right inside the door. <laughs> uh, when I was there, uh, so, you know, first of all, it's not very big. Um, and at that time, then, uh, the, the air venting from outside, uh, you know, uh, trucks would pull up outside and idle. And then, you know, after a little while, you're, you know, just smelling exhaust in there. And, yeah. Um, um, it, it, it had its it had its charms, uh, and I, I don't miss it. Um, uh, now, yeah, I mean, uh, when I first came to BU, I had an inside studio with no windows. Mm -hmm. Then when they made me chair, I said, I want that corner studio that Roger had with windows facing east off towards mm -hmm. Charles River and Beacon Hill and Fenway Park. Yeah. And, um, and I've been on that side of the building ever since, uh, mm -hmm. smaller and now a larger office again. But uh, uh, I, I am not... No, I, I don't miss that. Mm -hmm. I don't miss that room at all. Mm -hmm. I've, I've been back in there a couple of times uh, since, you know, when Mark Claudefelder was there and then mm -hmm. since Jason's been there. And I said, well, those, those were the days. Yeah. <laughs> um, you, you said it was 98 that you hosted the ITG there. Mm -hmm. uh, I brought my wife to that conference. She was sick as could be. Oh. And uh, kept excusing herself from uh, some of the sessions because she didn't want to cough and distract. Um, and and it, she hasn't come to another conference since. Oh, I'm so sorry. Um, but uh, no, it, you know, uh, well, she's a violinist too, and I think she saw just oh. how nerdy uh, we were, and she said, "I don't want any more of you that." You know, my wife's a violinist as well. I, uh, there's something. Dan Gosling is mm -hmm. married to a violinist. There's something about that yeah. trumpet violin. But my my wife's first conference was the Akron conference in '93, and mm -hmm. uh, uh, she walked into the exhibit room. Uh, within 15 seconds, she had a migraine and has never visited the exhibit room at an ITG <laughs> ever since. Uh, she's come to a couple conferences, and of course, she was also very instrumental in helping me host in 98 because my my tendency, I've, I've got this thing that when I get behind on things, I go into a shell. So instead mm -hmm. of actually chipping away at the problem, you try to ignore it, and while it gets worse and worse, Don't well, go away. you know, yeah, hey, how about that? <laughs> you know, and of course, this is back when a lot of, you know, uh, email was just starting, but so it was a lot of phone messages. Oh my gosh. And right. so I'm like, oh, phone messages are piling up. I, and, and I, I like ignored them for a oh. while, and I, I finally said to Lori, I said, I've got a lot of phone messages, I think, for the conference. Would you go and listen to them for me and write wow. down? And, and, and there was, there was one person on there that, Left a couple in a row, and increasingly, 
um, you know, un displeased, sure. uh, and rightfully so. Sure. <laughs> and uh, and she called him back, and of course she is as sweet as anything. And so mm -hmm. as soon as she called him back, and and oh yeah, my husband's so busy, and I mean she covered for me so well, you know, I had that grace, and and he, oh no problem, Mrs. Everson, that's that's. Fine. <laughs> So thank you so much. She, she really, she really. Yeah, they're not going to yell at her. Uh, yeah, well, right? yeah. See, so it, that was exactly. Perfect. But you know, and hosting a conference, you know, uh, at that time again, we we that's when we were just starting to do a couple things at a time, and uh, I did it with um, the master classes. Um, so we'd have more of a classical master class mm -hmm. track and more mm -hmm. of a commercial master class track or a jazz kind of thing. So there would be master classes going in different places, but for the most part, it was one event at a time in, in the different venues. And um, as a host, I think I attended, out of the 24 some odd sessions, I think I attended two. <laughs> um, I, I heard about yes. you know, uh, Lou Soloff up on stage and inviting Vince up Ralph and Al Bazzuti and Arturo and or whoever, you know, all, yeah. and I'm like, oh, okay, I, I bet that was great. But the, actually, the, the story about that conference that really um, sticks in my brain was I was sitting, uh, finally trying to enjoy something. The first night of the conference, I had the Lexington Philharmonic, and they were backing up um, the three former winners at that time of the Maurice Andre competition, mm -hmm. Stacy Blair, mm -hmm. Stephen Burns, and Garbor Bodochki. Mm -hmm. um, and then uh, the, the batting cleanup was Frank Katarabic with the Vasilenko. So we got to intermission, and all of a sudden I'm sitting there and thinking, I think Lou Soloff is supposed to be coming in to the airport tonight, and I don't think I have anybody to pick oh, him no. up. <laughs> so I um, somehow got a hold of him. Uh, I, I got a hold of my, the guy running my transportation mm -hmm. and said, I, I think... I think he's there, and not only was Lou there, but his bass player and his bass yeah. uh, were there, and they'd been there for you know an hour or so. They, uh, I again, organizational disaster man here. Um, you know, he didn't know what hotel he was supposed to be staying, mm -hmm. <laughs> and so I mean, there's just mm -hmm. nothing. He, he's sitting at the airport, mm -hmm. so um, I, I, I sent Bill out to get him, and Bill picked him up, and and Bill again covered for me. You know, so oh, you know, he, he's going all over the place, is so busy and whatnot, and and Lou just said, you know, I. Um, Please tell Terry to call me tonight. Oh, no. oh boy! <laughs> so you know, I, uh, I I got done. You know, uh, the, I mean, actually, I didn't go to the rest of the concert. I, I I called up Lou at the hotel and I and I said, Lou, you know, Bill was really gracious in trying to you know excuse and, and put this on somebody else. I said it was my fault. Mm -hmm. I I was, it was I I just did not keep track of when you were coming and didn't send somebody, and it was my fault. Silence for about five seconds and says, well, you know, you're the man for, for owning up to it. Thank you. Okay. He says, uh, and, and, and he says, uh, I forget who his pianist was on that one. He says, yeah, you, you know when my pianist is coming in, right? I'm like, oh yeah, sure. You know, hung up the phone and then went into the cold sweat because I had no idea when his pianist was coming in. And back then it was really, I mean, information wasn't just at the fingertips right. anymore. You're right. trying to call and you're trying to look through this. And we, we did finally found uh, Mulgrew Miller, mm -hmm. uh, Mulgrew was playing for him. <laughs> and I did find Mulgrew's information um, not too long before Mulgrew came in mm -hmm. uh, and made sure somebody was there to pick him up. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and uh, you know, crisis, you know, mostly averted. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I've, I've been blessed to have people covering for me and, yeah. and just you know, have things fall in the place at the right time sometimes. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, 
you know, that's I, I applaud the, the ITG board and JC, you know, for you yeah. know, everything. You know, yeah. J, I think JC is an administrative savant. I think he, you know, he, he just wakes up and all the details are there right in his mm -hmm. brain. And he just goes boop, 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 boop. You know, um, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm sure it's a lot more work than that. I, I don't mm -hmm. mean to diminish. In our no, and of course, you know, over the years, he's, there's, he's there's a template that yeah. you just have to change the details yeah. and tweak things. So uh, I, I was, like I said, that was my first conference in 98. Had a great time. Uh, Von Nark was the uh, right the, uh, with the airman. Yeah, and I remember. Uh, I think the the band played the first half, mm -hmm. and then uh, they introduced Von. And from backstage, he let loose into this wailing solo, and then came out and uh, was so loud. I, I was sitting. <laughs> the, I think it was a. They weren't pews, but it was like a church. It was in Memorial Hall. Yeah, at UK. Yeah, and. Uh, I just remember these old people, right? Like, this is too loud. Let's leave, Margaret. <laughs> you know, and you know, some older people got up and left. But uh, and it was a, that was a high energy concert yeah. for sure. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, it set a precedent too because I I bought a horn at that conference. Uh -huh. And I wasn't allowed to go back. Uh, <laughs> for, so I think 20, 2014 was my next conference, next one after that. But. Uh, That'll teach you. Yeah, that'll teach me. <laughs> but uh, anyways, um, we still haven't talked about your playing. Nah. So you get to play a little bit with uh, kind of a hat group, pickup uh, group around town called the uh, Boston Pops, right? Boston Pops Esplanade Orchestra. Yeah. yeah. And, and uh, it is actually a pickup group. Um, what, well, what, I was being funny. Are you serious? What people don't know about the Pops is that there are, there are two groups. So the Boston Symphony Organization. Right. Of course, you know, obviously, there's the Boston Symphony. Now, the the Boston Pops that you see on something like the evening at the Pops that, that's from their spring season, or the in in the hall during the holiday season are is basically the Boston Symphony without most of the principal players, mm -hmm. um, and then maybe just a couple, you know, uh, subs whatever filling in. Um, but then there's a whole other group called the Boston Pops Esplanade Orchestra, and it's called that because. This is the group that plays on July 4th on the Esplanade on the Charles mm, River. Sure. And there is not a single Boston Symphony member in that <laughs> group, uh, which is I find highly ironic yeah. because this is the highest visibility engagement of the Boston Symphony organization every year, mm -hmm. and there are no Boston Symphony players on stage. And I, you know, I joke around, Tom Siders, you know, is principal in the Pops, mm -hmm. you know, he's a associate principal of the BSO, and you know, he'll go home to Texas or uh, to Illinois. Um, Actually, and, and and people say, oh yeah, so we're going to see on July fourth, right? And he's like, mm, not so much. No, <laughs> he doesn't play that. So yeah, every single member now it's it's a relatively stable personnel. Obviously, sure. you know, if you want a group to sound good, you need to keep it pretty stable. Right. And um, of course, the stability is dependent on people producing. You know, um, you know one way to um, you know uh, destabilize the personnel would be to screw up. Um, and so you know. For people who think, well, you know, and it, this, is, this sounds a little bit self-serving, but you know, well, you don't have a tenured orchestra job somewhere, you know, you're not, you know, on the same par with, you know, this guy or that gal or whatever that has a tenured orchestra job. Um, you know, try auditioning for your job every single performance mm -hmm. and every single rehearsal. Um, I guarantee, if my quality starts to slip, you know, I mean, and and Keith will do exactly the right thing, you know, uh, Keith Lockhart, and he'll say, well. You know, Everson's not, he doesn't have it anymore. You know, we need to go someplace else because his concern is not just, I mean, he, he's a good guy, you know, and, and he cares about us as musicians, but his job 
is to protect the reputation of the orchestra. Absolutely. And so, um, you know, if I if I start missing a bunch of things or playing out of tune all the time, as opposed to just you know some <laughs> of the time in rehearsals, and he's very good about letting me know. And it, this will sound kind of funny. He's he's good about letting me know if I. Uh, it's usually not on one of my big horns. It's you know when I have to pick up the piccolo oh, or the flugelhorn. Um, you know, my ear has a little bit more trouble with those timbres trying to trying to place them. Mm -hmm. I you know I need more time, and of course we usually don't have much to do on them. Well, it's, you and know, in just, the heat too, you know, three bars, yeah, here and there. But yeah, I I remember a tour down in Florida. I, I had a solo on uh, the Beatles tune yesterday on my flugelhorn, mm -hmm. and we got done with the run, and he said, "So, uh, Terry, um, it, uh, is there a is there a way that 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 instrument could be um, more in tune?" <laughs> <laughs> I said, well, yeah, and you, know, and you know what? I mean, you know, some of us as trumpet players resent that kind of thing. You know, it's like, how dare he criticize me? Well, do you want to play out of tune in front of 2,000 people in the audience? You know, and have people sitting out there like, wow, that's out of tune. Or would you rather have the guy just tell you in front of your colleagues and tell you straight, I mean, grow up, right. you know, and just take the criticism. And he, he's never, he never offers it to me in a mean-spirited way. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, he's always kind of joking and, and, and whatnot about it. Uh, um, and the same thing happened I had a, 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 on the last 4th of July concert. I had this just this little piccolo trumpet thing that they wanted in the Texas tenors, God bless mm -hmm. the USA. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I didn't quite have my fourth slide adjusted right to get, I mean, it's, it's C sharp and G sharp on the piccolo in, in, in the lower end of the yeah. register. Nasty little thing. And I just didn't have it there. And he, he said something about it. And I, I couldn't quite hear it. I turned to my second player, Mike Dabrinsky. I said, you know, what, what did you hear? He says, oh, yeah, the C sharp is sharp. I said, okay, cool. Thank you. You know, and you, know, you want people around you to tell sure. you the truth. Sure. You know, because if people aren't telling you that behind the scenes, you're going to go out there and you're going to make a mess of it in front of now. How many, you know, thousands of people live and millions of people on the interwebs and on Bloomberg TV and whatnot are watching and say, Wow, that's an interesting sound that trumpet player made on that funny-looking trumpet there. You know, with the camera right next to me. Yeah, there it is. Um, so uh, I started doing that. I, I actually, I think I've done the Fourth of July concert now uh, seven times. Mm -hmm. uh, the first two or three of them, mm -hmm. I was down in the section, like third or fourth or something like that, and then. Um, they, they moved me up to principal, actually switched me with Bruce Hall, who had been doing it for decades. And talk about a guy who nobody knows, but has been heard and seen by more people, mm -hmm. um, because he not only was been principal in the Esplanade Pops throughout that time, but he's also the guy that's sitting in the section with the Pops. He's the first call, mm -hmm. you know, so when they need four trumpet players, okay, we've taken away the principal, you know, who else is playing? Well, there's Bruce. Right. He's on all of those things. And when, when they switched us, um, he has just been as gracious as anybody you could imagine. Mm -hmm. you, know, you, you pull a switch like now, BSO famously made a switch of principal trumpets back in the 60s. You, know, you may know about uh, well, when Roger Fozan showed up for work one day and Armando Gatala was sitting in the principal chair. You know, and mm -hmm. management hadn't bothered to you know, let Roger know this up front. Mm -hmm. And that from what I understand, was, you know, that was a pretty sore spot. I mean, can you imagine, you know, being uh, in that position? So, so I talked to Bruce about it, you know, when they wanted to make the switch. And his, his joke was, you know, I don't know if they're punishing me or punishing you. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but, you know, they made the switch, and Bruce has been faithful in saying, okay, here's what you do. Boom, 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 right down the line. You know, we're, we're mic'd, you know, so, so don't try to force it. We've got four people here and mostly three parts. Right. 
So, you know, there, there are a number of four-part charts, but there are a lot of three parts. Now, I've got Rich Kelly sitting on the end of the section. No. I mean, <laughs> he's sitting in the fourth chair. Rich Kelly, right. you know, I mean, monster, monster player. Um, biggest waste of talent to sit him in that chair, but, you know, everybody's got to sit somewhere. And, but it's great for me sure. because so all, most of my book is he's down in his folder. Assist. So I mark this, mark this, mark this. Message to trumpet players out there, stop being heroes, you know, because, um, you know, there are a lot of heroes in graveyards. Well, especially you know. these days where a lot of uh, conductors, uh, music directors, want to over-program not just yeah. the pop stuff, but oh, yeah. to over-program just a regular classics. So, yeah, so, I mean, swallow the pride. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, if you've got four, I mean, it's me, Mike Dabrinsky, Bruce Hall, Rich Kelly. I mean, all, any one of us could play lead. And all of us at some point or another, you know, if, I mean, if I can't make a concert, they move Mike up, mm -hmm. you know, and, and so all of us have done it, you know, so I've got, I've got no problem bracketing mm -hmm. this, 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 sending it down to Rich. Rich is just the nicest guy in the world yes. if you've ever met him or whatnot. And he, you know, and, and sometimes I don't have as much, there, there's not as much in my book. I don't have as much to send him. I'm like, Rich, I'm really, I wish I could just give you more. Mm -hmm. He says, no man, it's good. It's good. I'm, I'm happy to do what I can mm -hmm. do. Uh, but you know, you know, when I was young, for me, playing music was just—it was about well, it was about me looking good and trying to impress people and all this kind of thing. And um, and the older I get, uh, the more it is about the people I'm hanging with mm -hmm. in the section mm -hmm. and in the orchestra. Uh, I've got I got three good friends sitting in that section, and then more of them around me in the, yeah. in the trombone and tuba, down the horns, <clears throat> in the woodwinds and the strings. Um, it's a bunch of really gracious people, you know, and that's what I would hope. I mean, it's, it's hard for an audience to pick that kind of thing up, maybe watching. But what I hope people are seeing when you see us working together is like mm -hmm. we're we're happy to be there, you know. And I don't know if that's something that's maybe because of the situation makes it a little different than somebody who's you know tenured in an orchestra and has been doing this for decades or whatever. You know, we hear the stories about the people who have these what we think to be great jobs, but they're miserable and, and whatnot. Um, and part of it is we don't have enough stuff to do that we're tired of each other yet, I suppose, too. We play the 4th of July. We have a, we always have about a uh, anywhere from four to eight uh, series of concert runouts around New England or sometimes down the coast a little bit in uh, during the holiday season. Mm -hmm. We play a lot of the same things they play in the hall, but we take it out to the um, stores Connecticut or down to Providence or out to Worcester and mm -hmm. you know up and in, up into New Hampshire uh, and then we'll do one or two little tours a year maybe you know we come down to Florida every other year um, down we were in Texas back in March we were in California last year mm -hmm. um, coming out to the Midwest next next April I think um, you know so it's it's not like we're just like always on top of each other so that, right. that maybe that helps right um, but it's it's just a pleasure to play with these people and yeah. you know and when when people come up to me and say yeah I really like this thing you did there you know and I try to make a point too you know if I hear somebody doing something I want to go tell them about it and you know and really you know pump them up and, and let them know that somebody's noticing um, and that's I know because I know how encouraging it is to me when people you know tell me that you know something I did touched them in a certain way you know and, had, a, uh, had a preacher years ago <clears throat> who was a fan of an attaboy <laughs> and, you, uh, you know, I grew up, my dad said that, you know, attaboy. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, there's a guy who took that and created a, a plumbing company called Attaboy Plumbing. 
<laughs> and uh, I don't know where I was going with that. But you know, you know those well, attaboys, those attaboys, that pat on the back, yeah. that that little word, you know, more than just sometimes, you know, just kind of shaking the foot after a good solo. Yeah, uh, it goes a long Tell way. Them what you thought and why? Yeah. And, and you know, I mean, to me, I mean, because sometimes I'll play something, and then somebody will give me a compliment on something I didn't know I was doing, in it. I'm like, oh, you know, and actually it makes me think about it for the next time. I said, oh, I, I mean. I guess I was doing that. I could actually be a little bit intentional about that. You don't want to, you know, be too uh, what meta about it, and then you're starting right. to, you know, tip over yeah. it in different ways. But, um, but it's you know, you know, we as trumpet players, you know, will often gauge ourselves on our accuracy in a concert. You know, did I did I hit all the notes? Did I did I put any big splats in it? Well, you know, I mean, I, I played the um, uh, on the last three tours we've done. We've done John Williams programs. And uh, early in the second half, um, I'm, uh, I'm doing uh, JFK. Oh. Uh, so the opening of the second half is Raiders. And I play very little of Raiders. It, yeah. it does have four parts, but a lot of it's doubled. And I lay out on the doubled stuff, because why? Why not? You know? <laughs> um, you know, and then I, I stand up and I play JFK. And, you know, you know, and, and occasionally I'll, I'll fuzz an attack or something like that. But, you know, still people come up to me and say, you know, they don't talk about the fuzz on the attack or, or the one note that maybe I just didn't quite center the way I wanted or something like that. And they'll talk about this expression of the fact that I'm trying to do something with it instead of just playing exactly the same way every time. And, and that, you know, and it gets my mind then off that whole judgmental mm -hmm. kind of thing. Uh, so that that helps me a lot. I, I want to you know I want to pass that to other colleagues and pass it to my students. You know I'm critical with my students, but I really work hard to try to find the things that are going well because I think students, by and large, are pretty critical of themselves. Um, you know once once you've kind of showed them the things you should be thinking about, then they can be pretty critical. Mm -hmm. uh, and so you know sometimes we need to actually as teachers kind of say okay. Don't don't lose sight of that thing that you're mm -hmm. thinking about. Okay, clean this up or get this better or whatever like that. But can you see what's going well? Uh, I I I, uh, I saw a master class that Jeff Nelson gave for us years and years ago at BU, a horn player, um, and uh, somebody finished playing. And the first question he asked in the master class, so um, so you know, tell me three things you liked about what you just did. You know, and to me that was. I had never heard anybody say that, and of course the student was fumbling around like crazy sure. because all they're thinking about is this and that and the other and 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 whatnot. And uh, oh, I, I've stolen that one. Uh, you I better too. believe Absolutely. I've stolen that one. Um, you know, because we don't oftentimes, you know, it, it, it's just getting it in balance. Well, it's too right? easy to be so critical, oh. and that and that voice of critical self-doubt, you know, that's that's can sometimes be there. A little too often. Yeah. Oh, you know, and the funny thing about that is, you know, it it also, it, when when somebody expresses that about themselves, it's actually pride, which sounds kind of funny. But so I know what I did, you know. I mean, I I know it should, you know, and, and you know, I I I, you know, instead of just saying, you know, I mean, if somebody, you know, if if Keith tells me it's out of tune, you know, uh, you know, I I don't say, oh yeah, I know, you know, I'm like. Oh, okay, because, you know, maybe I didn't know, mm -hmm. you know, uh, or maybe I kind of knew, but I didn't know what was going on. Was it just mm -hmm. my sound or whatever like that? You know, just, you know, for people to just, uh, to drop all the artifice mm -hmm. 
and just say, you know, tell me, and not offer that up themselves. Mm -hmm. Which, of course, is just a bad habit. I mean, all of us have done this after concerts too, right? You know, oh, that was great. Yeah, I know, thanks, but you know, of course, I, you know, I, I did miss this, and I did miss. Shut up. You know, <laughs> my, my my wife helped me with that. Oh, she good. said, you know, it diminishes. Uh, what that person is saying to you if you do that yeah. and she said just say thank you and smile yeah and because otherwise they're like well why did I even bother talking to this person right and you and just told them they were stupid exactly yeah. And, yeah, you, you know, shouldn't have so, liked that <laughs> you know and, and it's a hard, it's a hard change oh, it, it was is. a hard change for me to make but it is. Um, continually but what a difference but then you know what when you say thank you it's so much easier to enjoy what you just did Absolutely. And uh, so I've embraced that. And I think that's, my wife's given me a lot of great advice over Wives there. are uh, a good thing. Yeah. Um, let's talk a little bit about uh, uh, inspiration. Mm -hmm. uh, who, and I, we could probably all say Sergey, of course, but oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. who, do you, who do you listen to and who do you uh, admire as a player? Um, that was two separate questions, actually, because I, uh, I have to admit, I don't listen a lot. I don't listen as much as I should, um, certainly much less than I did, because partly I think just because life got busy. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I've got a stack of CDs that I'm still trying to you know, slug through that I've got from people and whatnot. Um, obviously, Sergei's been uh, awesome. Uh, an album, there, there were two of his earlier CDs that I, that I still go back to. Um, his Elegy CD is lovely. Uh, and sublime, you know, because he'd made those couple when he was younger that were kind of the youthful, um, you know, uh, I mean, and I don't mean to say this disparagingly to him, but kind of youthful show off. I mean, the kind yeah. that a record label is going to say, hey, look what this kid can do. And you hear it, and it's like, wow, that's really amazing. And you can still kind of hear the kid in there. And then he came out with the Elegy CD. I said, oh, we're all dead because he just grew up. You know, and now everything from then, and then after that, the No Limit CD, um, that the uh, the the uh, what is it, the Sansons on there on, on the front of it, uh, uh, the introduction to Ronda Capriccioso. Uh, I I bought the CD to find out okay how are they going to dumb this down for the trumpet, and was appalled, <laughs> and and amazingly excited to hear it wasn't dumbed down at all. And I really want to figure out, if anybody knows, please email me, uh, how do you double tongue and circular breathe? Like he did the other night, you know, and, he, and I'm, I'm sure he's doing that at the end of the, uh, the Sanson as well. Yeah. And it just goes and it goes and it goes and it goes. And wow, you know, I mean, you know, on the recording you think, well, you know, maybe there was, maybe there's some editing. Maybe, but, but then somebody told me, oh, I've seen him do that live. And that wasn't edited. Was like, and he did it live. He did it live here. That ad absurdum was just, yeah. you know, that's, that's well, what Well, Rafael Mendez did that too. Right, exactly. And, and you know, I, I, I can circular breathe slurring, but not exactly. articulated. Yeah. And went and came out, you know, Mendez did uh, perpetual motion. Articulated. Articulated. Mm -hmm. And boy, you can't fault him, and you can't fault Winton oh, either. Oh no, because I can't do that. But yeah. Winton slurred. Yeah. And you think, okay, first of all, so what that he slurred it? It's still as impressive as all get out yeah. that so <laughs> that he did it. So good. Um, but of course, it's easier to do the circular breathing when when yeah. you don't have to. And of course, I mean, Winton, uh, you know, he's he's just like a year older than I am, and so you know, I, I'm in college, and there's this guy that's practically my age, winning Grammys on both ends right. and stuff. So I'm, I'm listening to him and thinking, wow, that's, you know, there's some sweet stuff going on there. You know, uh, when I was, well, uh, 
my, my first big classical influence in many ways uh, was Dachshitzer. Uh, my teacher oh. gave me a tape that had the Artunian um, on it uh, my freshman year, and I started working on the Artunian at that point. And, you know, of course, you know, that's just the, the model there. Um, and I think one of the reasons that resonated me, with me, too, was because my, mo my model and my idol before that was Doc. Um, when I was in junior high and high school, my dad was a jazz drummer played along with Tonight Show band albums and Stan Kenton band albums and all these kind of things, but there was Doc and the, his, his album, The Great Arrival, uh, I just listened to over and over again, and as I could, I started just playing along with that. And when Dr. Burkhart uh, gave me my first lesson before I got to Ohio State, um, uh, he said, well, there's a lot of ways I can train you as a trumpet player, you know, what do you want to do? And at the time, I was thinking studio orchestra, I was thinking, mm. you know, something like a, a TV studio orchestra, you know, something like that. Um, and the words that came out of my mouth were, you know, I guess about an orchestra player has to be able to do about anything, so, you know, why don't we do that? Now, I was thinking studio orchestra, but if you don't say studio, it changes the meaning yeah. just a little bit. <laughs> Slightly. You know, and so, you know, I ended up accidentally becoming this classical player. Fortunately, I really dug it, you know, and, and learned to really love the literature. Um, you know, and then only later in life, I mean, you know, so you can do some of that in the quintet, too. Mm -hmm. You know, that, you know, you do popsy kinds of things there. But then, you know, I, I feel like the Boston Pops has been like the, you know, just the ultimate place I could land. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's, it's not that I would, you know, just turn down a major orchestra principal job or something like that. Mm -hmm. but, uh, but I have to say the, for me, I'm, you know, I'm probably ADD or, you know, whatever. You know, I mean, my, my attention span is just, unless I'm focused, you know, at a thing of playing. But so, you know, shorter tunes. And a lot of them, you know, and and you know, just having fun in between, and all that kind of stuff. I, I dig that. The so most. the ring cycle is probably not your. Uh, uh, you know, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm 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 not going to say whether I've ever listened to it or not. Um, but you probably know now. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, so I mean, you know, there there are you know everybody's got their thing, you know, yeah. and uh, I, and it's it's all about you know trying to make sure that the holes that we have in our own experience and interests yeah. and things don't get in the way of our students. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, introduce them to something, you know, even if it's not my, my bag. I mean, I didn't know the Shostakovich Piano Concerto for the longest time. Yeah. Uh, it just, it never came up. And I'd maybe listen to it once or twice, but uh, okay. And I finally played it at the Peninsula Music Festival about five or six years ago. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I didn't really know the length of the rest at the end of the piece quite as well as I should. And I got a little bit excited and started my last phrase yeah. a bar early. Oh no. And somewhere within the first, I don't know, two seconds of what was going on, hearing that the orchestra was not chunk chunking when I thought they should be, and seeing the conductor's eyebrows go up a little bit, I said, oh, darn, I'm, I'm not supposed to begin yet. And somehow I just like added an extra measure. And um, you know, one of my colleagues in the audience didn't notice that it had happened. And one of the other colleagues said, how did you do that? <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, panic can just really be a, a great right. uh, in, inspiration, and it's if you know where to look on on YouTube, you can you can find that video mm -hmm. uh, of of the end of that concerto, mm -hmm. and it's like, wow, that trumpet player is in the wrong place. Yes, um, so you know that little hole, I I filled a little bit better now. Uh, I, I think I'll come in right next time. Yeah, yeah. But, <clears throat> I was gonna say, you know, uh, you talk about maybe not. Uh, with the attention span and everything, maybe Mahler symphonies 
the complexity of that, but I'm thinking mm -hmm. then back to the JFK. Sometimes it doesn't have to be the most difficult. I mean, JFK is all about elegance and yeah. the beauty of the line, and it's not technically no. difficult. No, it's got the one little skip in it that, that can give people a little, you know, da -da -da -da, up to the, the concert A flat that, you know, can make, give people pause a little bit, but it's, yeah, but, it's. But the challenge of that is just putting the, the phrase into it, it is, yeah. is not just playing the notes. Yeah. Well, that's the same with anything. I you know, know. But that's, you know, that's what I think about with everything I play, whether it's technical or lyrical, is it's, it's always sound through time, and it, there's always a destination we're trying to get to. And mm -hmm. if my air and, and my musical sense are leading somewhere, um, you know, then, you know, then it's going to be convincing. I mean, mm -hmm. you, you listen to, uh, you know, like Phil Smith, you know, play lyrical solos with brass band, you know, Share My Yoke, or I'd Rather Have Jesus, or something, and it's like, oh, that's, that's how that is done. First piece I ever heard him play was a recording of, of uh, Unanswered Question. Oh. And talk about, uh, now that's, that is a difficult piece because sure, of just yeah. the way it's orchestrated, but the purity of tone was... I mean, what a great introduction to Phil Smith for me. It yeah. was like, oh, that's yeah. the sound you're supposed to be that's, emulating. That's it. Yeah. 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 I heard Phil for the first time at the ITG conference in Lexington in 1982. The first, when Vince hosted the ITG conference in Lexington, mm -hmm. <laughs> 16 years before I did there. Um, and yeah, heard him, you know, give this lights out recital with Joe Turner at the piano and, mm -hmm. and then pull out a pocket testament, read a scripture, play a hymn tune, and I said, oh my goodness, here's, here's somebody who plays the way I want to play, who believes the way I believe, and mm -hmm. I didn't know that anybody out there, there, there was anybody out there like that at Bowling Green. Mm -hmm. um, Chappie so, Perry is another like that, Oh, absolutely. Too. Yeah, yeah Chappie was great. Yeah, he was yeah. another one of my teachers. Oh, great. I'm very fortunate yeah. at a certain point in my life, I'll tell you off tape, yeah. but uh, very fortunate to... to I met him for the first time just last summer, uh, known of him. Yeah. Uh, but was this a part of the... Um, Masterworks Festival? Yeah. yeah, my son was down there last summer. Well, there you go. And uh, yeah, Rich Stolzel had uh, uh, had arranged with me to get my son down there. Rich was there for the first two weeks, and Chappie was there for the last mm -hmm. two. And my wife and I went down and visited for the last concert and mm -hmm. met Chappie. What what a wonderful guy. Yeah. And, uh, and that, that festival really, you know, I mean, was a turning point in, in Peter's uh, playing as well. Mm -hmm. so. Wow. I, I was kind of... Uh, Surprised! I looked at the, you know, we've gone for a while. Wow, look and, at that. Yeah. And, uh, man, you've covered so much great stuff. <laughs> and, and I'm appreciative to get so many different aspects uh, of your, your life, your trumpet, your teaching, mm -hmm. and all of that. Uh, thank you so much for sharing this with me. Absolutely. And, and, thank you for having and me. And the audience. And uh, it's nice to get to know you this way. Yeah, you know, likewise. And uh, look forward to seeing, you know, at other ITG conferences and maybe other events I'll, as they pop up. But, I'll be uh, there. Terry, thank you so much. Great. Thank you, Larry. Thank you again for listening to today's interview. I hope you enjoyed your time here, and please come back for more interviews. Be sure to share the news of this podcast with friends and colleagues and give me a rating on whatever platform you get your podcasts from. Thanks again to Messina Covers for co-sponsoring this podcast. Don't forget that you, too, can be a supporter. Check out how at www.patreon.com slash studiohfl. And one more reminder that you can sign up to receive news via email regarding new episodes, merchandise, and more by going to palmusic.net and clicking on the subscribe to newsletter link. Thanks again for listening, and I hope you come back for more great interviews.